Nadia, Sandra, Sandra, Suzanne, Suzanne. Andrew. Andrew, Julia, Julia. Thank you. Getting there, close. Got the yes right. <laughs> You know, some people have, I don't, this is actually true, some people have um, clusters of cells in the brain that if you put a, a needle on it, they will see immediately um, a Tesla car. They have Tesla recognition cells, true. And some are like um, um, uh, Hannes there, he has uh, Lamborghini recognition cells. <laughs> and some people have um, name recognition, really quite, quite interesting, face, very, very good face recognition, name recognition, but isn't that fascinating that people actually have um, object recognition cells? So we, tra- we, we uh, years ago in Europe, a long time ago in Europe, um, traveling lots in Europe, we started a game in the car, because we were in the car a lot, traveling around Europe, and spot the car, you know, of course guys do this, spot, spot the car. And we practiced so much that we could see uh, and was how many you could do in so much time and get the right name of the car, and it was a game. And we got to the point where we could recognize the shape of the light, just the shape of the back light or the, the edge of the bumper, and go, that's a uh, Porsche, or that's a uh, Volkswagen Passat, or that's a, you know, it's quite something. And you, you really feel how fast the process is of recognizing shapes and filling filling out the rest. It's quite something. So, I was just noticing that today they were going, ah, Tesla! Like, you know, maybe even just the curve of the car. Which brings, of course... I didn't hear any of this. I didn't hear the engine. I hear the engine. I have a nephew that knows cars so well once we were driving in Toronto. And he was about 21 or 20 years old. And he'd grown up with cars. He really, really knows cars. And he sat in traffic. And I said, don't look. Don't look. What's that car? So, that's about a 1996 um, such and such. I said, how do you know? He says, I can hear by the engine. So, so this leads me into, of course... Uh, the theme for today uh, of what, what, what do we, how do we know things. So, anyways, I was just talking. Certain cells. Have you ever had this? Uh, this is a nougat um, crafted in, in Tarragona. It's absolutely, you like nougat.
This will make your hands really sticky. If you want to pass that around to us. A real specialty. I have a specialty shop in, in Tarragona in Spain. And uh, making these nuggets. Bring you a little gift. Exactly that one. <laughs> you don't like, don't like sweet things? Just a few. Just a few. Do you like chocolates? Every now and then. So when I have a lot to do and I have I've met a couple of people in my life that the taste of chocolate is, is awful. Yeah, I met a few. Well. Met a few, not very many. And it's, I think it's genetic. It's like they just, can't, no matter what kind, it's just, it's just cannot even, uh, at all like chocolate. I've only met two. One's a good friend of mine. I just have to mention the word chocolate. But never in his life. Do you want some? Oh, you got some? Oh, okay. Great. So let us start with a, uh, an altruistic uh, motivation, a, a motivation to uh, develop uh, compassion and awakeness uh, for all sentient beings. All mother sentient beings, especially those enemies who hate me, obstructors who harm me and those who create obstacles in my path to liberation and omniscience. May they experience happiness and be separated from suffering. I will quickly establish them in the state of the most perfect and precious Buddhahood. And now the aspiration, uh, not so much the aspiration, the dedication uh, to take action for the uh, welfare, the welfare, enlightenment of other beings. Thus, until I achieve enlightenment, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. Until death, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. From now until this time tomorrow, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. And then uh, the, uh, the refuge uh, in Tibetan. Sange chodai soki chubnam la jinju badu tagdi kapsu ji. Nagdi jinzo giba sonam ki drua pancha sange drupa shu. Sange Chodang Sukhi Jognam La Jagdu Badu Dagdi Chansuji Nagdi Jinsa Gipa Sonam Gi Drova Panju Sange Drupa Shok. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and Sangha, most excellent, to take refuge until enlightenment is reached. By the merit of generosity and the good deeds, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. May all mother sentient beings balance the sky of happiness and the cause of happiness. May they be liberated from suffering and the cause of suffering. May they never be separated from the happiness which is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. It's from the Trikung. Trikung tradition? Trikung uh, Zogchen tradition?
By the way, uh, I have many things here. Right? <laughs> if you have an opportunity, I think it's only on tomorrow, but to see the, if you haven't seen the relic, uh, the relics of uh, greatly awakened beings, um, I can pass this around, but I don't know if you know about this, but it's a lovely thing to see. So it's only on tomorrow, I think tomorrow is the last day. So. So let's start uh, tonight. This is the, the third class. Let's start tonight. And I, I, if you have any questions or things about the about this text or meditation to do with this text or something 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 remotely related to this text, we're um, done. Um, because sometimes uh, those questions are, are other questions that the people have, but they're not they're not uh, saying so. It's good to hear from you a little bit. Anybody have a anything that you want? Clarify, ask for clarification. And no? um, you, you mentioned um, before to this um, sensation so that we we when we touch mm-hmm. and, um, and we can only be new if we are newborn, otherwise we will always have kind of a mind of, of it. Will we never be new after that? Well, this is this is a question. Uh, uh, will will there ever be a uh, truly? Uh, I'm not saying yes. I want you know. Sometimes I don't give answers. <laughs> it's actually better to say here. Here's the contemplation. Is it possible to have a truly uh, fresh, uh, novel experience uh, in the mind that is based on habits? Is it possible? It's very important. Very important, and not 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 this is bad or good because we say, oh, you know, I have I have a new experience, therefore it must be good. But the question is neither good nor bad. We want to know whether, um, in fact, this is the case. Uh, is it possible to have a, a completely fresh uh, experience, or are experiences um, a, com- a compounded experience of new, always new phenomena? Give an example. Have you seen these glasses before? Same as last night, yeah? same as this morning. Are they the same? They'll never be the same. Different light, different conditions. It's actually lived a day and, and part of a day. It's not the same pair of glasses. Different smudges. I just cleaned it with my shirt. So now it's got different smudges on it. So it's not the same pair of glasses. But how do you, how do you see anything fresh? How do you? Is it possible? So I'm raising this. This is a very important uh, question uh, to uh, find out. Mm-hmm. You stop living your concepts by living fully now in the moment. So then it should be possible. Can you can you live in the moment? It's hard. You can try it. When are you when are you hearing what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> when I'm in the moment. Thinking about something else, or? almost one second after I'm talking, just like all of you. Does it feel like it's in the moment? It's not. It's not the moment. Almost a second late. Can you actually be in the moment? You know, because this is normal Buddhist teaching. Yes, be in the moment. Right? You hear it all the time, and people train this way. Ever thought to ask yourself, can you be in the moment? 
And is there a moment, and this is not uh, intellectual, it's actually meditation. If you are trained to be in the moment, you will find the moment. If you have a teacher that says to you, uh, tell me what a moment is, and tell me uh, if you can be in a moment, or in the past, or in the future, is it actually possible? Is there a moment to even have? Or is that made up in the mind? This is a very long debate in Buddhist, Buddhist meditation. Even the idea that there are moments of consciousness, are there? Or is it because what you get told? You find me a present moment. This is very, very important. So, this, this, this uh, as, as in your question, the exercises I gave you this morning uh, are to begin to, to uh, ask yourself, is what you experience uh, out there, or is what you experience, you know, if you daydream or fantasize, is the fantasy you're a product of your own mind? So this is very important. So you, can, can you say, there is an orchid out here, but uh, where does the orchid experience occur? And if you say the orchid experience is only, the experience is only my mind, then uh, this means that you have, where, where is your mind? So we have location, problem of location. So right now, do you feel you are in your body? Let's just try it. Here's, here's, I want you to write this down and try this, because this is really crucial. We're going to get to this in a second. Are you in, is your mind in your body and limited to your body, or is your mind uh, uh, inhabiting the room? Where is the experience located? Point, point to your mind right now. Can you point to your mind? Where does it feel like it is? Where does it feel like it is? I can tell where my eyes are and where my head is, but I can't tell where my mind is because therefore I have to know exactly how mind works. But I've heard it should be everywhere. So you've, you've heard that. You've heard that. If you touch the chair or the floor, just touch the chair or the floor, is what you're touching where your mind is? Or is that your mind separate from the place that you've touched? Like from the point of view of sensations, isn't every sensation like where your mind is? And like going back to, to the question um, about moments, like from the point of view of sensations, like moments are, are relevant because the moment you have a sensation, that's, you know, that's, um, you could say that's the present, right? Like a, a sensation always occurs as present as can be. So that we're to just stay with sensations and everything is a dharma, right? Like as of yesterday. Then like then yeah, then where's the, the question, right? Does that make sense? Like Yeah, where's 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 the actual the question is we're we're on about freedom. So we experience all day long, we need to know what that experience is. That's, that's the question. So the, the art of Dharma is to actually find the, uh, the, the uh, really good questions and keep 
keep working with them. Those questions have been asked for a long time. The first thing that's important is where is experience happening? Is it experience happening on the outer? Is it happening on the inner? Uh, is there, is, are there any objects and experiences that are true uh, in themselves? So I'm, I'm just raising this. I can answer these questions. These can be answered, but I just want to raise these, create some doubt. What would be the... Now, another thing is because this is used so often, stay in the moment and the teaching of mindfulness, which is the word sati, which generally speaking, uh, up until recently, didn't always mean mindfulness, and it's only one of its meanings. But why so much training in so-called being, uh, it's actually, this is a new invention, being in the moment. This, this is completely new. And actually, the expression is uh, presence. Presence. There's no, no. Presence. Not, not in the moment. Uh, because you're clinging. You're just clinging. Stay in the moment, it's clinging. But why all this focus on being present and uh, being in the moment. Well, why, why is this? So you can experience the sensations clearly? Okay, that's one, 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 one possibility. Yes. So you put yourself at the body, mind and body, because in a moment you, you have to go back to your body. Yeah, but why would this be such a strong uh, piece of advice? And why are so many people practicing it right now? Because the... Hmm? There's less suffering in present. Yeah, yeah, but some, something's happening. Oh, it means you're observing? Yeah, and maybe it wasn't always this way, by the way. The old text not always this way. It's, oh, now, it's, not, it's a very modern thing. Overcoming the ego, excessive You know, you think about someone, give me an example, give you a story, but it's, it's a true story. Yeah, many, many, a thousand, over a thousand years ago, uh, Milarepa um, met, he's a great teacher, and he was walking. And he met a goat herder, or a yak herder, a young boy, maybe a teenager. I think he was a teenager. I can't remember how old, but I think he was a teenager. And the teenager, what did the teenager do all day? He watched yaks. He was a yak herder. And he asked Milarepa, could you help me to become uh, awakened like you? Milarepa said, sure, I'm going to give you the meditation, which is this meditation right here, on the five skandhas, on the five heaps. Okay? And this is an uneducated uh, goat herder. He said he gave the teaching of the five heaps, the meditation on the five skandhas, and the goat herder got comfortable after he took care of the yaks and examined the five skandhas for one week without moving and entered into a samadhi contemplating the five skandhas. He didn't say be in the moment. He didn't say meditate. He just gave the theme, gave the work. And the, and the, yoke, the uh, yak herder uh, just supposedly sat down like this. And for one week, without moving, completely focused on the five, on the five heaps. Why? So what is it today uh, that we, uh, many of us do not have? The ability to be uh, sustained uh, present. Very few people have it. This culture, bless, bless his heart, by the way, is a fantastic culture. And you have, we have uh, a, a superb health uh, compared to previous uh, years and centuries. We have education, all kinds of wonderful things. But this culture, 
if you want to learn to meditate, you want to learn to develop the uh, fifth parami, especially, and the sixth parami, uh, this culture is training people to be multitasking and highly uh, divided in their concentration into little tiny chunks. So, um, so for, for someone to have an experience of being present for even, I have known people who told me, for 15 seconds, 20 seconds, it blows their mind. It blows their mind. Just absolutely, oh my God, that's amazing. That's simply amazing. So you have to start somewhere. So the ability to actually be present for sustained periods of time is a great gift and a great art. It's absolutely required. It is required. It's required. So today, the emphasis for all over the world is to teach people to meditate, but the meditation focus is not so much this. The meditative focus is what? To be present, to be present, to be uh, presence. And the feeling that overcomes people who've never, maybe once or twice in their life have experienced presence is extraordinary. So we have to start, we have to start there. That's very important. Otherwise, this uh, parami, I was teaching on the parami this morning, uh, the parami of patience, shanti paramita, uh, uh, if it doesn't develop, there is no ability to unfold a dharma, a study. That's another word meaning for dharma, is study. No ability. It just stops. Goes for a weekend, it stops. It gets uninteresting, it stops. You ever hear this? I'm bored. I'm bored. Of course. I'm bored. What do you do? You reach for your cell phone. I'm bored. You reach for your computer. You turn the channel. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. So this is not your fault. It's the culture you grow up in shapes you tremendously. And because it shapes you, partly your question, it shapes you, are these your concepts? Are these your habits? Do you have a sensation? Is there any sensation to actually have? Or is a sensation as well made up in the mind? So, we're going to come to this. This gets very exciting. I hope you you grasp how exciting this is. You know, some people, they go to university and they study this. I took took some philosophy classes. University, Hasselhoff, Merleau-Ponty, whole graduate course. Many, a number of courses on this. It was just shocking. But um, this, uh, in this tradition, this is practiced. This is practiced. This is a, a meditative practice. We study it and we practice it. And it gets very exciting once you, once you get the hang of it. So we've now finished uh, one, two, uh, three. We've gone through three paragraphs. Let's go to the fourth. So... Um, to recap, let's recap the exciting last chapter, last um, episode. You know how to say in television? To recap the last episode. Uh, Sariputra is asking Avalokiteshvara, the great Bodhisattva, uh, how, how do we do this? How do we train? Okay. And of course, you're, you, who are you? You are Sariputra. This is, this is, this is where this text is coming from, like a, like a play. So you put yourself in the role of Sariputra, and you're asking uh, Avalokiteshvara, who's a very, very enlightened being, how, which is the name of Avalokiteshvara in Sanskrit, one of the names, is how do we examine, how do we look closely to find out 
what this nature of emptiness is. And Avalokiteshvara, who is a holy awakened being, but actually the name also means to look, examine closely, to look closely, uh, travel among the worlds. He says to Sariputra, Hero Sariputra. It's nice to see the relics of Sariputra today, by the way. It's cool one. See some relics. Uh, Sariputra, 2,500 years ago, 2,559 years ago. Hero Sariputra, form is Shunyata, and the very uh, Shunyata is form, or in, in, in Sanskrit, Hero Sariputra, Rupa is Shunyata, and the very uh, Shunyata uh, is Rupa. And uh, we, I need to uh, uh, speak about that. A shunyata, we've decided we're not going to use emptiness so much anymore. Uh, shunyata does not differ from rupa, from form or appearance. And appearances do not differ from shunyata. Whatever is uh, shunyata, that is also shunyata. It's, empty, it's, it's, it's shunyata uh, emptying out. Whatever is shunyata is also rupa or appearances. The same is true of feelings, perceptions, impulses, and consciousness. Here, O Sariputra, the mark or characteristic, the feature, that's what that word, mark or characteristic, uh, lakshana, in, uh, in Sanskrit. Sometimes you'll see in the technical language of Vipassana, the word nimata uh, is used in Pali or in Thai, nimit. Um, but here, lakshana, the sign, the, the sign, the nature of all dharmas, all phenomena, including Buddha Dharma, is emptiness. They are not arising nor ceasing, not defiled nor pure, not increasing or decreasing. So uh, the meditation on the five heaps, what's called in, in Sanskrit the five skandhas, is the meditation. Now, is it the only meditation? No. So we need an avenue in to be able to contemplate and meditate on emptiness, which is freedom and which is compassion, compassionate. How do we do this? One of the major methods that's used in Southeast Asia, uh, used in uh, Tibetan meditations of Mahamudra and Dzogchen um, uh, as, as um, leading in, uh, used uh, in China and Japan and so on, one of the great classic meditations is the meditation of five skandhas. So when insight meditation is given, in South, especially in Southeast Asia, one is given um, something that one can grasp onto, okay? That's gross. Now, as my teacher, who's a great master of the tradition of Mahasasayada, he was a, uh, a Vipassana um, Acharya, master of, of meditation, and um, um, a graduated, if you wish, from... Um, the insight tradition of um, he, he once said, uh, he taught it uh, all his life, uh, he said, um, you need something very strong to focus uh, so the insight characteristic uh, comes through. So in the uh, tradition, um, you need something strong enough to grasp, but if we give an object out there, it feels like it's too much not yours. So you get something close. And the object that's been given since the Buddha's time is breath. This is a very, uh, which, which is what? So let me ask you a question now. This is, this is all to do with this. 
If you focus on the breath and I say to you, I'd like you to watch your breath, what are you watching? Can you see your breath? Can most of you see your breath? You'll say mystically, of course you can, but not, not at the beginning. Can you see your breath? If it's really cold, but you just feel it. You feel it. So if I say, if we say, it says the text, watch your breathing or follow your breathing, what does it really mean in the text? What does it really mean? Watch this. Watch a sensation. Can you watch, see this thing, can you watch a sensation? Awareness. Awareness of what? By the way, this is really easy. When you hear this, you're all going to go like this. What actually is the instruction, really? To feel the sensation. To feel the sensation. It's nothing else. How do you know you're breathing? But you have to have a sensation. Is that correct? Otherwise, you're not breathing. Otherwise, you may be breathing, but you don't know you're breathing. So how do you know you're breathing? Sensation of something in the nose or something on the body that gives you a sensation. You say, ah, I am breathing. Correct? So what is that a meditation of? Sensation. Okay? And it's an appearance of what? It's an appearance of a sensation. Of skin, touch. It's a touch meditation. So to do this, we need a way in to look at our experience. And the Buddha divided uh, the experience of the ego, if you, let's call it the ego, because we're in Vienna. It's good. It's Vienna, I have to use the word ego. Um, did anybody bring me an ego today? No? Didn't bring me an ego. Okay. Yeah, I did. You did? Myself. Ah, yourself. But I, I don't see the ego still. I see there's skin, I see hair, I see clothing, but I haven't seen an ego. So the, the Buddha talked about the personality or the feeling of self. And he said it can be approached in five ways. This is very classic. You want to write these down. It's actually in the text. Is number one is rupa, is a form. So would you all agree with me? You don't have to, by the way. Don't, don't. This is not, uh, what's the word? Uh, a slavish teaching like, um, I don't know, there's a, there's a wonderful word. Hmm? There's a, pardon? Pardon? No, yeah, there's a wonderful word where the students all go, yes, yes, whatever I say. No, we don't want that. Pardon? Uh, yeah, there's, another, there's another word. There's a wonderful word in English. I just trying to remember what it is, but it's a beautiful word um, that, that describes this kind of... Obedience? Mm-hmm. Obedience? No, no. It's okay, we'll come to it. It's a, it's a beautiful word, but it, it describes that... Oh, psychophantic. Psychophantic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No, 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 we don't want that. Okay. Maybe trust, but, but not psychophantic. Psychophantic? Psychophantic. It's like completely. Uh, uh, whatever you say. Whatever you say. Okay. So, uh, would you all say, without being weird, would you all say that you have a body? Yes. Yeah? Would you? Now you're getting very... I'm not so sure. <laughs> Do you have a body? Yes or no? Yes? Yes, okay. Good. Play along. Yes. Okay. And remember from this morning that you uh, reached out and touched another person's body? Yes? And were you sure what you were touching? We decided, I think we decided, we agreed, that you really can't be too sure what you're touching. 
You're touching fabric, but you're not touching the body. When you touch the skin, you only know it's skin because you remember what skin is like. Correct? If we put a special rubber, maybe a rubber uh, thing there, and you touched it and it was exactly the right temperature, you go, wow, that's nice skin. That feels really good. Until someone shows you a piece of uh, rubber or, a, or a, an arm that's just uh, sitting out here in space. You know. We can do this, by the way. In the lab, we can do this. very easy to do. And you go, you're convinced you're actually touching your hand or someone else's hand. It's absolutely not. We've done this many times. Or touching someone's nose, not their nose. So, let's try it. Take a finger, close your eyes, and take, uh, feel some skin, and slowly rub the finger, just slowly, very, very slowly, rub the finger on the skin, and uh, see what you experience. Feel it. What is it that you're really experiencing? Okay. Was there ever a little moment in there where the uh, a feeling or the concept of skin just dropped away? Or was it constant? The knowledge of the body, your body, was constant or was there just simply a sensation? Did you have that? Cool, isn't it? So what is the experience while that's happening. It's an appearance. It's different. We have an appearance of an orchid. We don't actually have an orchid here. Where is the appearance of the orchid right now for you? It's in your brain. Okay? And you actually have orchid. Most of you have orchid recognition cells. You just need to glance at the orchid for less than half a second. You know it's an orchid. Well, you've seen orchids before. How do you know your body? When you look at your body, how do you know where it is? I'm going to try another experiment. Okay, ready? I'm just going to show you what's meant by the word rupa. Close your eyes. And uh, you all all have your eyes closed? Okay, yeah? Okay. Actually, let's do, we did this in in Tarragona, we used our index finger. Today we're going to use our pinky. You know the pinky little finger? Stick out your little finger, your pinky. And what I want you to do, just listen first, I want you to take the little pinky and raise it, this is your right finger, raise it over your head, straight over your head, and touch, you can do this pretty quickly, touch the tip of the left ear, right on the very tip, with your eyes closed. Okay? Let's go around the room. How far did you, how close did you get to the to the tip of the ear? Anas? I almost got it first. Almost got it first time? Okay. Andrew? How how close in centimeters did you come to the tip of the uh, of left ear? On the tip. I mean I touched it. You touched it where? Here. Okay, so you're about uh, four centimeters away. Well, that's what I intended to touch. Oh, you intended to touch it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So pretty close, right on? Yeah, pretty close. 
First time? Yeah. Okay. I got it. You got it right now? Yeah. Yeah. One yeah, year? No, 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 two years? Right now? Oh, okay. Pretty close. Pretty close? You got it? Yeah. How, how can you do this? Your eyes are closed. How do you know where the tip of the ear, the, the tip of the ear is? How do you, how do you know? Do you feel it? You didn't do it that way. You have an inner Let's do another one. Let's try it. Let's uh, use the, uh, uh, no, let's use the, the left thumb. Okay? And we're not going to touch the left thumb. But use the left thumb. That's, that's a joke. Use the left thumb and uh, touch. Ah, okay. Touch the, uh, with your eyes closed, touch your right uh, heel directly, the right heel of your foot. And just, just, just the first time you touch, where, where did you get to? How close? Like three centimeters. Okay, three centimeters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got it. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Good. Did, did you dance? Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. Mm, just off. Just off. Isn't that cool? What does this tell us? That we can have our eyes closed and we can put the finger directly to that. We just read something. The Avalokiteshvara just told Sariputra, there is no body. What does he mean by this? There's no body. He just took it away. I hope you know what he just did. He just said to, to Sariputra, who's a master of insight, right? master of Abhidhamma, master of insight, he just said to him, um, the same is true. There's, there's, the same is true. Feelings, perceptions, impulse, and conscience empty. What is meant by this? So do you have a body or do you have an appearance of the body stored in your consciousness? Now, uh, we now know from scientific studies that the map of the human body is started in the womb. In the womb. The map of mapping out where the body is in space starts in the womb. All of us have a map of our body to at least a square millimeter of where everything is in space. This is not real time. This is a stored uh, feeling of a body, a stored presence of a body that actually isn't your body. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Who's looked in the mirror lately? Did you see yourself? Or did you see a likeness of yourself and said, that's okay, that's pretty close. <laughs> and how many people really now look at themselves in a mirror or did you just glance in the mirror and go, yeah, that's me. That's, that's close enough. And how much of you are you looking at? Not much. So do we have a body or do we have an appearance of a body stored in memory that normally agrees now and so anybody, okay that normally agrees with the stored appearance and what normally happens has anyone ever had the experience 
of stepping the wrong way and really feeling freaked out because you thought your foot was a certain way. Or have you ever woken up and you couldn't feel an arm you were very concerned? Ever been sick and you're really worried about how the body felt because it didn't feel normal? You ever had this? Ever had a funny feeling flying or something like that? It doesn't feel... Yeah, sometimes it happens when I'm laying in the bed. What happens? Um, when I feel this feeling kind of flying down and I, I stay with it, I concentrate it, it gets kind of extreme, so you really have a feeling of the body comes to get some adrenaline rush. I can imagine myself with a parachute or with a horizon and the feeling gets calmer and better. But if I don't do that, I wake up. And you don't feel, like the feeling. I have to stop it. To you don't it. like the feeling. Why? Because the body map that you have does not agree with the body sensation. Have you ever felt, have you ever woken up and you didn't have a body? How many, how many of you have had this? It's a wonderful yeah. feeling, by the way. Yeah. No, you haven't had a stroke, but it can happen, especially if you travel a lot in hotels. Ever had this in a hotel? You don't know where you are? Don't know who you are? Don't know where you are? Don't have a clue who you are? Some people panic. They just freak out. Ah! It's a beautiful feeling. You don't have a body, don't have a mind, don't know your name, don't know where you're located, not a clue. Don't even know what, even if you're a hotel, where you are. Nothing. And then it comes back, doesn't it? Did it come back? It comes back. Have you, had this, have you ever had the experience, very common in meditation, but I, 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 I grew up like this. Um, have you had the experience of being very big, maybe before you go to bed, or waking up in the morning? Have you ever had this in meditation? Very, very big. Yes, you can say it. Yes. Giant. No? Some of you? Ever had tiny? Tiny, tiny, tiny? Yes. Yeah? Very common. Very, like tiny, like, like, like the size of, a, of an insect. Ever had the size of an atom? So shrunk down, you swear you're the size of an atom? So what size are you now? The normal size, yes? Why? <laughs> Relative to what? Relative to what? This, isn't just, this is not a philosophical point. This, we now know this from all kinds of lab experiments that the body is a held experience in the mind constantly and it refreshes itself. It has to be made up. Often in meditation we interfere with that. Why? You just get calm. Anybody who gets very calm in meditation can lose their body. Very calm. Insight meditation, one of the first things that's often reported is, I lost my leg. But you didn't have a stroke. I lost my leg, I lost my torso, I lost my arm, I couldn't find my arm. You're like this. And there, aren't, there isn't a lower body. You can have your eyes open, you can't see the lower body. That's no stroke. So where is the body experience? Right now that you're so sure you have a body, where is it made? We know it's made up in the mind. It's an appearance. This word rupa in Sanskrit, if you look up the word rupa in Sanskrit, it, it's often translated as form, but it actually is rupam, rupa, which means to break up. It means to fall apart. It means uh, not really real. So we can, you can use uh, rupa and translate it as form. I know people who translate, I don't know them personally, but people who translate this text, and they put in the word body. Mm -mm. This is the right word. Much better to say appearance of a form. But the Buddha, now the Buddha is trying to, to or Abhagavateshwara, is trying to find a way in to find out who we are 
and what we actually experience and why we have suffering. Okay? So are, are some of you now a little bit feeling like the body that you have may be a, uh, uh, partly a mentally created body? Yes? A little bit? Okay. Is there any reality in that? Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. This is, this is, the, this is the step-by-step method. Okay. This, is, this is a beautiful method. This method has been used for 2,500 years and I tell you, the number of people that have awakened this way and become liberated uh, is in the thousands and thousands and thousands of people. This method is a classic method. It's even used in the Mahamudra and Zogchen tradition. This method. Okay. If, uh, if someone told you, I, don't, I wouldn't want this to happen to you, if someone told you that you had to have just I want you to feel, just, uh, feel in your body right now. Just feel your body. Just feel your emotions. If uh, a doctor came to you and said, we have to amputate your uh, right arm, how would you feel? I'm not so happy. <laughs> would you have a bit of a shock? Mm, yes. That part of you would be uh, gone? If uh, your right arm was gone... Is part of you gone? Remember that the Buddha said, and he's right, that all of suffering and all of, of, of dissatisfaction comes from clinging and attachment. Would you have a moment of fright and disconcernment due to being told you will be losing your arm? Yes? How about your eyes? Hearing? Tasting? Imagine no taste. I have I had a, um, uh, my professor actually at university, my, my, my main professor, lost all his smell. We'd go for supper and he didn't smell anything. No, almost no taste. Just a little bitter, a bit salty. That was it. Lost it all. Did he lose him? Was him gone? Was Charles gone? No. Would we be gone if we lost our arm? No. Would we feel part of ourselves is missing? Especially if you use your arm a lot. How about if I said to you, to be a Buddhist and to practice this, you're going to have to shave all your hair off? You came pretty close. I did. You did. Okay. But it grew back. How much clinging and suffering do you think there is around the body image in the world? Would you say a lot or a little? What do you think the dollar value is around body appearance and maintaining body appearance? What would you say it is in the dollar value? Try trillions and trillions of dollars. Trillions. So, do any of you feel that you cling to your body in any way, shape, or form? Yes. Yeah? Would you protect your body? It'd be wise, wouldn't it? It'd be wise. Do you ever do things that are not about protection, but they're there to protect the image that you have of your body that feels comfortable? Yes. You get what I'm getting at, yes? Yeah. Yes. Like, 
brushing your hair in a certain way because it feels comfortable. Clipping the mustache, well, you don't do that. Clipping the mustache or the beard in a certain way because it's comfortable. That's the image, yes? Uh, I'll give you one example. I'll give you an interesting example. Many years ago, many, many years ago, uh, I was the uh, a director of an art school, national art school in, in Canada. And I was in meetings for almost two and a half years, from day, uh, from morning till night, in meetings. Meetings, 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 meetings. Met with all kinds of people all over the city, in meetings, the mayor's office, the minister's office, all kinds of meetings. Meetings, 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 on all kinds of committees. And when I finished my job, I decided to shave off my beard and mustache. It was quite long. And I could walk down the street of Nelson, British Columbia, and people that I sat in meetings with didn't even recognize me. That was so cool. People I had been in committee meetings with every week, I could walk, finally walk to the bank down the street instead of going back around the back alley so I didn't have, just have to get into a meeting. I could actually walk down the street and people would simply look at me like, right through me. Just the change of a beard and no mustache. What happened if you changed all your clothes? Cut your hair. So, so um, how many times a minute or how many times an hour is there a reference to how the body is feeling, how the body looks, how the body feels? What would you say how many times a minute? Checking the body out. Checking the appearance and the sensation of the body. How many times do you think it is a minute? There's a meditation for you. It's, it's thousands. It's thousands. This is what we do thousands of times a minute. Is we're feeling every part of our body and reading our body to see if it's okay. Right? And it's okay in this room. It's okay in space and it's functioning fine, and it fits with the current model that we have about us. So I've had people in rooms go, I don't really care about my body. That's nonsense. The clinging around body, around the body being part of the ego. Would you say if you lost your body entirely, you'd have a you? Let's say you've lost your body entirely. Would there be a you, as you know it? Could you? Could you? It's possible. Let's say, and you're talking about this now, we're going to take you and everything we know about you and put it into a computer. People are talking about doing this, you know. No body. The body is the computer body. Isn't that cool? What happens when someone hacks you? So would you now say, after this, would you say that the ego experience, the clinging to self, which the Buddha was very clear on, causes the suffering? We're going to find out why in a minute. Would you say that the body is a main, the, the clinging or the attachment or the suffering around body sensation or body appearance? Uh, is one of the components that holds the, uh, our self uh, together. Would you say that? Okay. So this is actually a major meditation. So when you do insight and you have an experience of, of uh, impermanence or experience of non-self or even of suffering, 
It's very, very common the teacher says, now uh, take a look at body sensation for the next three months. Over and over and over again. How many times a day? Thousands and thousands of times. Because you have to be sure. Not just once. Over and over again. Have, have any of you ever had pain? Extreme pain? A lot of pain? Have you ever had it vanish on you? Just suddenly vanish? Because something happened. Something more pleasurable, something interesting. You ever had that? Where was the pain? You see what I'm saying? Where's the pain? It can be turned off like that. One of the fastest ways actually to clear pain turns out to be music. Music produces um, opiates in the brain. Uh, music that you like produces opiates in the brain and it can actually be used for therapeutic purposes. Music it actually sends uh, morphine-like chemicals in the brain. So what is the experience of body? Appearance. So do you do you have a definitive body that is a real, firm, concrete entity at this point? Do you know what I mean by that? Firm, solid, concrete. Okay, here's another question for you. Is your body solid? Does it feel solid right now? Does the body feel solid? Yeah, Pretty solid, doesn't it? If you go like this... Pretty solid, yes? How much force would it take to uh, make the body not solid anymore? Make it a bunch of jelly? Not much. Not much. You know that, don't you? I know the space between the atoms is almost infinite, so we are almost nothing. We're almost just space. So the feeling of being solid is what? It's not true. We're actually not solid, and we're not very firm. We're actually squishy organisms. Do you know that? We have a feeling, you know squishy? Squishy? Squishy, okay. Uh, we have a feeling, do you, can you feel it right now? Solid? Just try to sit in your chair and feel solid. Just try it now. Try to be solid. But the, actually, these are major meditations, by the way. Can you feel, can you actually experience solidity? Can you feel that? Or has it just vanished, the feeling of solidity? So where's the, where is the feeling of solidity? Solid, firm body. No such thing. How about this building? Solid or not solid? All looks solid. All looks solid. Have you ever seen how short a time it takes to demolish a building like this? Really fast. I took down a house in British Columbia in 20 minutes with one machine. A whole house. That's a solid house. It took 20 minutes to turn it into rubble. I, I, by the way, I wasn't mad. 
Uh, it was just it was more expensive to fix the house than it was to build a whole new house. So uh, was, we decided to take the whole house down. But what I enjoyed was seeing the man in the machine come in and within 20 minutes, because I timed it, the whole house was down on the ground in pieces, just little bits of rubble. And then they came along and they scooped up and put it up and took it away. How solid is the house? Not solid at all. The wood? The wood? Wood is not solid. The rocks aren't solid. Have you ever seen a machine crush a rock? Ever seen a ship, the Ballard? On a ship, we used to do this, yeah, just, just for fun, because I worked up on a ship. Sometimes I put a rock in the Ballard where the, where the steel cable goes, and we just put it in there. 2,000 tons. Disintegrates, just like that. Ever take a sledgehammer to certain rocks? Any solid rocks? Like this? You've done that with concrete? Boom! Completely gone. Yes? Solid, hard rock. Gone. But when it comes to insects, doesn't necessarily have the body have nothing to do with how squishy we are as organisms? It has more to do with the nature of sensations themselves. It's mm-hmm. like, if you pay attention, you know, they vibrate and then they disappear and that stuff. And that's just... You know, it's not to do with this idea of the organism being like squishy or solid or being atomic, right? It is, because uh, this, you see, it's the emotional clinging. So this uh, following sensation very closely. So Sariputra is being told to look at Rupa, form, body, form, appearance, really, really closely. And the text, when you read the text, they tell you how to look. Consider the atoms, consider the space. They go through this whole thing. Just what I've gone through 2,000 years ago. Just go say the same thing. Why? Because we have to look so closely at sensation that we actually get through the preconceived idea of what our body actually is because of the clinging. So, as one great Tibetan master said, it's one thing to appreciate that the body isn't really real, the way we know it is, but that's not the key key issue. The key issue is the emotional clinging and the pain and the struggle and the dissatisfaction and the constant readjusting of the body because it's uncomfortable in its present sense, right? This, 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 this. It actually can't be still. It's always adjusting itself, psychologically, mentally, energetically. So the question is, if you think your body is real and you think this appearance is very real, very solid, then clinging arises. As soon as you... So here's a project for you. Okay? I can give you a meditation. Go for it. One hour or one year. You take your pick. You might need a year. You might need a month. You might need a week. You might need a day. Take one sensation of your own body that repeats itself. And we usually use the breath. Because it's, as my teacher once said, it's like a sledgehammer. It's like taking a big, you know, it's like a big gross object. You can use this. Or I know one person once who did this. He lay on his bed. This is a long time ago. This is like 35 years ago. He did this. He told me. Excuse me, I don't normally point my feet. But he just lay on his bed. And he decided to see how long he could look at his feet. As a meditator. Good meditator, by the way. It's really good. And he lay there for hours looking at his feet. 
What do you think happens to your feet when you look at your feet for hours? Why? Take a look at your hand. It's a history. <laughs> I did that once in Germany. Oh, yeah, oh. Everybody, hold your hand up like this. And, no, no, yeah. Big mistake. Okay. And so I thought, okay, we'll hold this hand. No, no, can't do that. Okay. So, but if you look at your down here, if you look at your hand, how long can you look at the hand uninterruptedly until the hand vanishes? You want to try it? Not right now. Go home and try it. How long can you look at anything until it vanishes? Why? Because the image that you have as an experience in your eyes must be refreshed over and over and over again. It's not there. It's made up in the mind. I have to refresh. Every time I look at you, I have to refresh it. But I only have to look, because I've seen you all before now, I just need to look at your hair or your shoulder, and now I see you. But actually, it's just memory. It's really easy. It doesn't take much brain power. No, it takes very little brain power now because I've seen you before, and now it's fill-in time. Do you fill in? I can just fill it in. Because I've only seen this much. Just that much. I think, it was the king, I think it was the king of France who did that. When he didn't want to look at anybody, like this. he just go like this. You're gone. You're gone. He discovered this, you see. The king of France was... He realized that all he had to do was go like this, and then the person vanished. So he could go, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. It was a bit weird. But is this appear and disappear? Is that? Yeah. So if a body part disappears, like your arm or your leg, what does it tell you about the experience? Your experience. It's infirm. That means that the suffering that one has around body is what? An imaginary suffering. So, so what Avalokiteshvara um, uh, is saying to, sorry, Putra, is that this form that you're having is actually empty. So if you want to write this down, this is important. Uh, the normal way in which we frame this, it's very important to hear this, is the form has no true abiding characteristics that you will ever find. This is, this is a, a very uh, clear way, classic way, of, of making the statement about the empty nature of appearances. No matter how hard you look and search, you will never find a concrete appearance. You'll never find something definite that has a solid entity behind it. And we're very squishy. Is the liver us? Is our heart us? Is it our spine? Is it our muscles that define us? How would you, what would you say uh, makes up a body? The cells? When you look at the cells, you no longer have a body. When you look inside the cells, you have parts of cells. You have organelles. You have a nucleus. You have mitochondria. You have Golgi body. You have cell wall. You no longer have a body. So what constitutes a human body? The view. The viewer constitutes the body. And the viewer is where? The viewer is an emotional viewer. The viewer is a habit-based viewer. We see what we're conditioned to see. 
Have you ever seen these wonderful videos? These are great. In uh, oh, so just have to do a demonstration. It's fantastic. Well, I, we, we, we're not really set up for doing it here, but these are just fantastic demonstrations. But uh, wonderful. You're on the uh, campus of the university outside uh, in a main uh, intersection, and um, I'm going to uh, interview interview you. So like this, I come up. You're 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 standing. You're right just on the intersections. Excuse me. I need to ask you a question. So take some interviews. And you look at the person, and you yes, and you ask questions. Or you go to someone on the busy street and say, oh, by the way, I've got a map. Can you help me uh, find my way uh, right to the center of uh, Vienna? And uh, I'm not sure. So the person engaging. And then someone comes along with a big piece of wood or drywall, you know, for building the thing. And they just walk between the two people like this. Like this. And what while it's happening is they put another person right here. <laughs> completely different person, even male and female. You see this? Fantastic. And then, and then back just like this. So, by the way, like, can you help me find the center of The person's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. No. This should really tell you. You know, have you ever seen the video of the, of the gorilla? The man in the gorilla suit? That's just great. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, okay? And, and uh, at least the 60% of people can't see that there's a gorilla walking uh, among people playing basketball, little kind of basketball. Like this in front of an elevator, and the gorilla walks through like this, a gorilla suit, walks through like this, and then the other side. And if you show this to psychologists, you show this to doctors, you show this to 60, over 60% will never see the gorilla walking through people uh, passing the ball back and forth. This should shake up the feeling that what you're experiencing uh, is a firm and a and a definite blessing. Okay, so is, this is a very, uh, I, I say use the word very important uh, again, I use that a lot, is this meditation uh, must be done because uh, the clinging around uh, the first heap, the first skanda, uh, is huge. So this is the way in. This is the uh, direct, uh, one of the direct ways in. So in the insight tradition of Southeast Asia, the method that's used is what? Normally, the most popular meditations, either the breath of the nose, sensation over and over and over again, day after day after day after day after day after day, or at the rise and fall of the belly. There's two places. There are traditions in Burma and Thailand that use every different kinds of parts of the body. There's even one tradition uh, that I know about that takes, you probably won't want to go there, but actually uh, they just take you to a tree, they tie you up in the full lotus position, with ropes, and they leave you there. So you have this sensation of pain uh, over and over and over again until you experience the vanishing of pain. Uh, that's a very direct method, and I guess the person who invented it, the teacher, that's the way they uh, experienced it, so that's the way they teach it. Right. What's a very common uh, method that we use in our society because of... Um, <clears throat> this uh, city here and history here. What's the method that we normally try to do uh, battle with our ego? What do we try to do? Analyze. We analyze what? Normally. What do we analyze the most? Our history. Hmm? Our history. Yeah, our history. But what is it that we're actually looking at? What is very common now as a, as a uh, 
It's actually now pervasive among uh, all, all people I meet. The first thing you do when you have a difficulty around your ego, what's the first thing you go head to head with? Thoughts. Thoughts as what? Why? Because of emotional uncomfortability. People then start to analyze their emotions. As if this is going to work. So the Buddha said you start with the body. Unless you can actually follow body sensation minutely like a microscopic examination. I'm going to say this, but it's not moment after moment after moment after moment after moment it presents, then the resolution um, of this will not become clear. It just stays fuzzy, stays fuzzy, stays fuzzy, stays fuzzy. So like a microscope, and I mean this, like a microscope, do you know what resolution is? I hope it's not too technical for you. You know what resolution is? Uh, If I have my glasses off, and I stand back there, I may, I can, but I may not be able to see these two dots. They will look like this. Okay? But as I get better resolution, I can distinguish that the two dots are this far apart. Does, does that make sense? That's called resolution. That's how microscopes and telescopes and binoculars are measured. It's resolution. Poor resolution means you can't tell there's two dots. Really good resolution means you can clearly see how the dots and you can clearly see the distance. Meditation, insight meditation, is about resolution. Training a really good microscope to actually be able to separate out fantasy, imagination, habit conditioning, what one thinks is real, and what one feels emotionally must be the case. That is insight meditation. Why it's called insight or vipassana? The word vipassana means to bore in again and again and again, to see clearly. It is not a technique. It's a realization. There are techniques for Vipassana. Vipassana is, means the insight, not the technique. This is the, the classic insight technique. The method in, for most people, is through the body because emotions and feelings are a little bit too abstract and slippery. They're, they're almost too hard for most people. Okay. Mind, very difficult. So what do we start with? Something that's close to us that we can actually measure and we can get the resolution up and up and up by training over and over and over and over and over again. So this is why sensation. And why sensation here or here? You do that? Who's got a loose gut? Why? You know why. No, no, I wanted to ask a question. Mm-hmm. How can we measure something when it doesn't exist? Remember, emptiness doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. Emptiness, uh, shunyata, doesn't mean something doesn't exist. It just means it doesn't exist as we know it to be. It's neither empty nor is it full. As, as uh, Avalokiteshvara said to Sariputra, emptying is forming. Forming is emptying. There's no such thing as anything that's empty because it's all empty. So normally, this is where, where people get very confused, is they say everything is empty. What they mean is there's nothing there. 
they use the word nothingness. This is not true. This is wrong. It's not true. Completely wrong. Emptiness isn't a thing. It's not a state. It's a realization. It's insight. There is no thing called emptiness. It's not a thing. It's not even a state. It cannot be defined by the conceptual mind. That's why it's difficult. It's just the way things are. Does this look, does this look fairly solid to you? It does, doesn't it? It's pretty thin. So let's give you an example. Uh, this wall, I'm not going to do this demonstration here, but you know, especially in Canada, New Zealand, other places, uh, a wall can look very uh, solid, yes, in a house, but it only takes a little bit of a karate chop to go right through the wall. Right? The chip, chip work. Wow, just like that. It appears uh, full, but actually it also has the property of having no substantiality. So this is, this is why we really need to focus on uh, the appearance and the sensation is what? So normally, when we run our finger along the floor, or a carpet, or a pillow, or uh, a cloth, or ourselves, can you do this? Just do this. You like doing that? Is that refreshing? <laughs> yeah. What are you refreshing? Myself. <laughs> exactly. You see? Is that normal what you say? Beautiful, thank you. I had to pay on I had to pay on <laughs> That was great. No, I didn't. I didn't take you Did I pay you anything? <laughs> so, that's perfect. When we do this, this is not, so we say, oh, do I feel good? You don't feel good. There's no... What's feeling good? You see? What is it? Do this. What is it? Is there a you in this sensation? Where's the you in this sensation? There's this. It's made up in the mind. What is there? It's rubbing the face. And what is there? When you're rubbing, you're not even rubbing the face. What are you doing? You're having a sensation. So it's the emotional fabrication. So there's the word in German, fabrikant. Yes, I like this word, beautiful word, fabrikant. Uh, fabrication, fabricating something that isn't and clinging to something that isn't. That's what this purpose is, not a philosophical discussion. Now, has this been discussed philosophically in Buddhist tradition? Yes, for 2,500 years. But for what purpose? To clarify the meditation. That's what it's used for, to clarify the meditation. Unless it's just a philosophical session, which has happened. No firm self-nature. That is a mental construct due to clinging. And people get scared because then they say, well, if I lose that, then I'll lose myself and I'll have nothing to cling to, and I'll fall apart. No such thing. Remember, did you wake up in a hotel and find there was no name? No form? Didn't know where you were? Yeah? 
Sometimes I didn't knew where I was until I realized I'm now in this or that city. But were you okay? I, had, you a, I had a bad sensation when I woke up. You had a bad I, sensation? I, I knew my name, but I didn't know where I am or how I came there. Or I didn't know the room I was living in. But were you okay? I was okay. I was okay. It came back. It came back, but you were okay. But when you had the experience, what happened? Were you emotionally a little upset? I, I found it kind of cool or kind of special moment. Other people freak out as if they're going to lose part of their identity because they don't know where they are. They don't know what room they're in, they don't know what bed they're in. How about when you start losing body parts? You know, it happens a lot to stroke, to stroke patients. They can lose their, their leg, they can lose their... And actually some people have been known to wake up in a hotel room, or, or if not a hotel room, a hospital bed, and they'll tell the doctor, please get the person out of my bed. Their legs touching me. There's no person in the bed. Or can you please amputate my leg because it's not right? How about diseases like bulimia, anorexia nervosa? Killers, they can kill. Based on what? Misunderstanding of one's body. This is very deep. Okay. You talk yep. about Vipassana. Uh, yes. Where do you put Samatha? Because in principle, there are two kinds of meditations, samatha and vipassana. In, in this, uh, I'm teaching the perspective of this. We don't, we don't actually need uh, the two separated out. Um, only in certain traditions was pasna and samatha separated out. Um, samatha and vipassana needs to be separated out when uh, we have to go progressively, step by step by step. So, if a person uh, says, I don't have the concentration, they exhibit the problem of not having the concentration to actually focus on sensation, then they're given uh, a subject of meditation, which is normally considered what we call pure samatha, which is to calm the mind, make it clear, tranquil, and focused to, to do this. So, the, the tradition is, is, if you are trained Theoretically, which is very hard to do today, but theoretically in order, then, especially in Southeast Asia, uh, and actually in uh, Tibet and other places, the training would often be a year or longer in a pure samatha uh, tranquility meditation, such as loving kindness, uh, such as breathing meditation, uh, uh, non-insight breathing meditation, um, jhanas with uh, kashinas and different things like this to bring about a mind that can reside at least for um, um, half an hour, 45 minutes uh, to an hour with a no thought. Just can focus on um, whatever's happening. Um, you don't actually have to have that in theory for insight meditation. You have to have uh, enough short periods of concentrated attention, close attention, with a good heart, with a good feeling and interest uh, to ripen uh, insight. But if you don't, because norm, often the problem is you're just not interested. You know, by the way, you don't want to know what the problem of Dharma is, Dharma students. It's not often even concentration, just not interested. They're actually not even really interested in Dharma. Yeah, but that interest, I think, is not just Dharma, it's in general. It's in general. There 
So this this is actually part of bringing a person along, uh, even way back too, is you bring a person along until they're actually uh, so engaged this way that the focus is out of interest, not out of I have to, I have to do this. So the Buddha said one of the factors for liberation you must have is one of the factors is the investigation of dharmas. If you don't have it, no liberation is possible. Dhamma which yeah, must be there. Investigation of dharmas. So not just, a, not just loving kindness, uh, not just a good being, not just ethics, but one actually has to be interested in investigation. So um, Avalokiteshvara is asking Sariputra, who's a great master of insight, to look more closely at really what's happening. He will. Why? He's interested in. He's very interested in. So, it's saying here that uh, emptiness and form are inseparable. So that appearance that you have a body is what? It's an appearance. The text says, and it's asking you to get to, the, get to it, is that your appearance is actually the nature of emptiness and the form is the nature of emptiness. We are empty. We're not empty because we're ne- negative. We're not empty because we're nothing. We're empty because it's the nature of how all things are. They are empty of any defining, solid self-characteristic. I wish we had, we could go to my lab. I have a laboratory in my house, full biological laboratory. And just look at skin cells. And look and see that this thing we call a body is uh, an amazing uh, complexity of organisms, of nothing that we can even uh, conceive of. We can do that in just a few minutes. It'll blow your mind. This is nothing at all uh, that uh, even can be uh, easily grasped. Blow, blows your mind how, uh, if I tell you this, I'm gonna, should I tell you some truth right now? Some, some scientific reality. I've investigated this, so I know there's some fact, a lot of fact. There are about a hundred trillion, a hundred and ten or a hundred and twenty trillion cells in a human body. Yes? This is, people have counted this. How many are human? Five to seven percent are human cells. Uh, We're emotional about ourselves, which only constitute five to seven percent of the entire human body. All the rest of that body, most of it, are other organisms. That's fact. That's absolute fact. I can show that to you. Not right here, but I can show that to you. You can just trust me for right now. I've really done this investigation. It's one of the reasons I have a lab. When we're concerned about ourselves, who are we really concerned about? So even the idea that we're looking at a human being is a, a misnomer. That's just dawning on scientists now. Even with all the data, I've said that to scientists, and other scientists now beginning to write and go, we need, I, I had someone once, a scientist I told this to, and they were bothered, said, oh my God, that's true. I need to tell everybody this. They're absolutely so blown away. I need to tell everybody this. They were so excited, like, 
oh my God, we're not really human. We're not really human. They were like, like they were jump, jumping up and down. That's a great person. That's someone I, I, I work with. And they're apologists. Wow. They're actually, because that's the way she is. You know, she's like, she's like that. She's really full of, of energy and balance. She just loves all kinds of stuff. Oh my God, that's really true. And she, she said, I knew that for years. But we had, she had to hear it. Isn't that neat? Some of us know this stuff already, but we have to hear it. So one of the things about Dharma, a teacher, having a teacher, a Dharma teacher uh, should be a being, if it's a close uh, heart connection, that gives you permission to do what you already know, usually know that. It's called permission. Like school, you know school children? You can do this mathematics. Here's an introduction to this field of study, and go for it. This is what this is. This is an introduction to uh, your, uh, your freedom. Okay, let's, let's uh, go through this. Um, any, any questions? Getting the hang of it? Okay, what else do we cling to that we call us? What's the next one on the list? Perceptions. No, feelings. Feelings. Does anybody have any feelings? Anybody in the room? We have to test for robots. Anybody in this room not have feelings or pretending to have feelings? Okay. We're, all, we're doing okay. We're talking to humans? Yes, we think humans. Would you say your feelings are solid and real? Would you say that your feelings are real things? Real things? Like it. it feels like it. And where does it feel like it? Where do you feel it? Depending on the feeling. Pardon? Depending on the feeling. Okay. Also, at the best, the best, like, the realness is when it's like, oh, it's me. I feel whatever it is. But this happens quite often, doesn't it? Well, yeah, all the time. All the time. But, but it also happens when you feel something and it's not really you, so you don't really feel like the realness of it, right? But, but we're, among, we're among enlightened beings here. What would happen if we went out the street of Vienna? We just walked down the street and we said, right now, are your feelings real or not? They go, are you crazy? Of course my feelings are real. Wouldn't they? Don't you think people would kind of go, <coughs> just right on the street, go, feelings, real or unreal? They go, of course they're real. What do you think? My, I'm not real? My feelings aren't real? Well, I was so sad once that I couldn't have such a heavy... Um Stone on my, my thymus area, yeah. I couldn't go up the stairs. Okay. It was really physical. Emotion or sensation? Uh, emotion made my sensation. Remember I studied inside meditation as resolution with a microscope or a telescope? Feeling? Sensation. Remember? Appearance, form. First one is rupa. I wish I had a word, okay? Get the magic marker. Rupa, form, appearance, body, is over here. Now we're dealing with feelings is over here. One, two, three, four, five. Five heaps. Oh, this is fun. Okay. We're going to do some resolution. This is microscopic, as some people call this, microscopic meditation. Vipassana. Form, feeling. What happened when you had the experience of the heavy chest, the thymus? What did you, what did you have? 
emotion or sensation? This is a was a sensation, the emotion was before. Okay. When you were able to walk up the stairs, what happened? Well, it was still there. I was just, I mean, I forced myself to go up the stairs. You forced yourself. Okay. Have you ever had the sensation, the experience of being able to see the sensation and the feeling? Because normally they're like this. <gasps> What happens when you go like this? Homework. When drop, bring up an emotion, have an emotion, and then feel the sensation, and feel the feeling in the mind, what happens? What's the feeling in the mind, and what's the feeling in the body? Normally we have an emotion, and we go, we call it emotion. This is not the word emotion that's being used here, it's the word feeling. Never was, never will be in the Buddhist tradition. It's not emotion. There's a different words for emotion. So, so how is feeling defined? Is that thing? feeling like is three things: pleasurable mind, unpleasurable mind, or neutral. Domanasa, somanasa, or upeka. That's only. It's the only three. Right. That's it. They don't mean emotions. They mean the mental atmosphere. What's the mental atmosphere in the room? Right now, what's it feel like in the room? Light. Heavy, smoky, heavy, bright, bright, positive. Okay, that's the overall feeling of the room, of the mind. Okay, what's the body feel like? What did your body feel like before? Heavy, heavy, unpleasant. Yes, unpleasant. They call that dukkha. Dukkha. Okay, dukkha. And what's the mental state when you were having that sensation, that, that experience? Pleasant? Unpleasant. So unpleasant feeling, unpleasant body. What happens when we have emotion? We can't differentiate the two. Our body sensation becomes inseparable with our emotion and it takes us away. Like the word in Pali is asawa. Idante punyakamang asawaki wahangotu. We pray that all the floods called the emotions will, will be free. People, all beings will be free. Why? The resolution is not clear enough to separate out this is a sensation and this is simply a feeling in the mind, which is a transitory <coughs> uh, feeling of the mind. What happens when we do that? Try it. So like this. Sure feels like it, doesn't it, Sam? Doesn't it feel like it? But it's 
Can a feeling do you in? Yes. But can it? Only a feeling can do you in of sadness, depression, unhappiness, or anything else by believing it's actually a real thing that needs to be believed in. What happens when, you, when the bubble of belief bursts? You have a good laughter. Ever have that? Everybody, anybody ever been sad or depressed or anxious and all of a sudden you found out or paranoid that it wasn't real and you just had a good laugh? Have you ever had this? You just have a good laugh. Why? Like a bad dream or a bubble. It just bursts. It's not real. So what do we do in Vipassana? The, the, the Vipassana technique is we want to separate out body from mental feelings far enough out that we can actually watch both rise and fall uh, as they will. We need really good uh, mindfulness and paying close attention as Avalokiteshi said. Pay close attention to what happens. They are not actually in any way substantial, they're just an appearance. And how fast do emo, how fast do feelings uh, come and go? You have to watch. So here's your assignment. I gave this to you last night, I think, or I think it was last night. I want you to cling to a feeling as long as possible. I want you to try to cling to a feeling for one hour and report back and say, I was able to keep the feeling perfectly uh, stable for one hour. Okay, I'll give you a feeling. I am able to uh, eat the, um, the nougat and have the same experience for one hour. Not even for a second. And what do we make up in the mind? I've been sad for a day. I've been happy for a day. It's not true. So, by paying close attention like this to sensations, mental feelings, what happens? They break apart. That's the tactical name, by the way. They break apart. They cannot, with awareness, these things that feel real about our ego and about ourself, they cannot stay real. They become laughable. Yeah, beings that experience enlightenment often laugh their guts out. The guts are on the floor. This is historically the case. When they finally experience freedom, they laugh their guts out. And they laugh, and they laugh, and they laugh. Why? Because it was ridiculous. The whole mass of confusion was utterly unnecessary and ridiculous. Okay? So we, you, as they say in the United States or Canada, are you on the same page? Good. The word impulses. Uh, impulses uh, means um, any kind of mental activity that's a drive activity. It drives, like a mental state. So these are all what they call the 52 um, mental factors, um, sadness and various other factors, that have volitional force behind them. They, uh, I think tomorrow morning we have to have a whole class on karma. But they, uh, these are the mental states that shape where we go and how we are. This is the mental state that allowed you to come to the class tonight. Which one was that? Curiosity, maybe. 
uh, or you paid your money and you go, well, I'm going to lose my money. That's you follow? So any kind of mental state, like this mental state, I have to have a mental volitional series of moments to get out of a chair. I have to actually somewhere have a feeling or a concept of leaving the room to walk out of the room. Everything we do, everything I say, everything that we do and say, and think of has volitional moments. Okay? Are those volitional moments solid, real self entities? Number three. But they certainly feel like it when they're all stacked up like this. Right? I'm walking out of the room. I made the decision. This is me, my mind. It certainly feels real as if that's up. If we lost all our volitional thoughts, all our our drive thoughts to go and do things and make food and eat, would we have a you? Do you think there would be a you left? No. Have you ever had the experience like this? Watch. Oh, I think I'll leave now. Just look at it. I think I'll leave. If you look at it, what happens? You don't go anywhere. Uh, I feel like I feel like crossing my legs. You just focus on the experience of crossing legs, and sometimes nothing happens at all. Why? It just, as soon as you see it, it just is, and then it vanishes. It doesn't have any substantiality. It takes patterning and habit patterns to do things. As soon as you stop, it changes. It's like a bubble. You know balloons? There's wonderful balloons that were blown in Terragona the other a week ago. They're just fantastic. Someone's blowing. Do you saw those? those did you see those? Those bubbles, they were beautiful. They, someone's blowing these giant soap bubbles and they stay a long time and they hover around, they float around with wind currents. I've never seen bubbles that actually last that long, they're big ones. And they break apart and form little bubbles. Fantastic. Do those bubbles ever stay the same? Does mental volition ever stay the same? It's a construct, it's a fabrication. If we take that away, where would we be? We wouldn't. We simply wouldn't. But you can get pretty close by how? How can we get pretty close to stopping this feeling of um, being driven? Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people are doing it right now. How do we stop this feeling of being pushed and driven by volitional thoughts? The feeling of having to get to do something. To do, to do, to do. Karma? That's what the word karma better means. K-R-A. Karma? K-R-A in Sanskrit is, means to do. Car, like a car. Car. Go. Go. Do you ever feel like you're going a lot of places? Ever feel like you don't really know where you're going? 
Do you ever feel like it's just one moment after another moment? What are people all over the world doing these days? It's a very common thing. To stop. Distract themselves. Yes, but another method. It's being used all over the place. Maybe even while you're here. Meditate. If we stop thinking, then we can stop volitional moments. If I don't have any thoughts, then I can't be driven. And I'll feel very happy. Lots of people are doing this. It's called, it's called tuning out. But what would happen if you saw the volitional moments like bubbles running through the streets of Tarragona or Austria? Just bubbles. Just bubbles. And you don't even have to act on them. In other words, you look so closely, you don't even have to act. Why? Because the awareness is so strong, the mindfulness is so strong, there's actually no need to act on it. So here's a meditation for you. Blow, get some soap bubbles. You know the soap bubble from the kids' store? And blow soap bubbles and blow them and watch them burst apart. See how transitory they are. And then stop and then watch the bubbles of volition. Just watch the bubbles of feeling and volition. So Vipassana is what? The practice of Vipassana is what? Watching soap bubbles of sensations, of feelings, of mental states, and what else? Consciousness. Form. And form. That's it. So, the bubbles aren't all like this, because this is called an ego. This is called a bewildered ego, stacked up like this by them, and confused about what it is. That's exactly what's going to happen to all the states and all the phenomena. It'll just fall. That is our experience normally, all stacked up and fuzzy. No definition. Now, people, most people in meditation and the, the spiritual world, they feel that if I'm fuzzy and zoned out and spacious, spacey, then this is my freedom. It's exactly the opposite. Definition is freedom. Separate it out and you can see them clearly, which is exactly the name of Avalokiteshvara. To see clearly, to see closely. The whole illusion, which is what you're asking, the whole fabrication falls apart. When the whole fabrication falls apart for even half a second, then the experience of cessation called, of technically called Lokutra in Pali, the experience of the transcendental freedom uh, comes in. That's it. All techniques and all the asana are to separate this out, do it like that, clearly. And when that happens, space, one experiences space, one experiences freedom. Absolute freedom. Whole, you know, deck of cards, you put all the cards up like this, you know, these little house of cards, that's what we're like, our ego is like a house of cards. We put them all like this. If we just take one away, really, look closely, any one of these, they'll eventually all fall apart. That's the method. It's also called the experience of emptiness. So whatever is forming, that is emptying. What is ever emptying, that is forming. The same is true of feelings, perceptions, impulses, and consciousness. So even looking at consciousness. Do you feel can you feel your conscious right now? 
Do you, how do you, can you feel conscious, being conscious? Who here actually feels that they're conscious? Pretty common, isn't it? You can feel conscious, you can just feel you're conscious. Go look at it. Go bring me consciousness. Go look at it and see if you can actually bring and see what it is. You won't, you won't even find anything there. Okay? So these five, uh, form, feelings, perceptions, impulses, and consciousness, these five uh, are the five heaps that Avalokiteshvara is looking at, and these are the characteristic of all phenomena. That's why we train. And once we train in ourselves, and we're very clear about it, then we can see it in other beings, and we can see it in other creatures, and all phenomena. This is simply a form, an appearance, uh, that is not substantial. We say all phenomena, um, and we reduce to these five categories. And so then... Uh, Not all phenomena, because some phenomena are actually just rupa. They're just form. Right, so these are types of rupa. These are type, these, these five are found in these five heaps of form, perception, of feeling, perception, uh, impulses, chaitastikas, uh, and uh, consciousness are found in all sentient creatures. Yeah. So they're the ones that if we understand, we can reveal our Buddha nature, get enlightened. Uh, we actually, first of all, uh, we should have tremendous compassion for the confusion. Uh, but this particular text does not point, uh, this, is not, this is a Mahayana text, it's not a Vajrayana text. It doesn't actually point to intrinsic Buddha nature. But, but yes, it does. This is what will happen. Right. What I mean is, as a student, would I have to like, deeply understand things, perceptions, impulses, and consciousness like, as, a, as, a, as a topic of study? Like, yes. Yes, it's, it's, it's actually, this meditation in Southeast Asia is called um, a, um, Anupasana, it's not called a Vipassana. When the uh, resolution is fine enough to see impermanence moment after moment, like this, see things come and go, and you're absolutely clear that all phenomena of the body, of the mind, it can be broken up. Go like this. Rapidly. There's no firmness whatsoever. Then usually this is given as what's called an anupasana, which is a topic of contemplation of a vasana. So it actually expands out. Because it's usually insufficient by just watching sensation or feelings coming and going to actually bring out the uh, full. So that means like, if you dedicate it to just the passionate, it could be a bit of a miss to, to get these four. It's the teacher. And it's the relationship the of the student to the teacher. That's yeah. the most important thing. That's what the Buddha said, and it's true. Uh, if you do this yourself, good luck. But it's the teacher that guides uh, where to look. Because you can look exactly in the wrong way for years and think you've got it. So I, I'll give you an example. This, I've heard, this has happened to me I, this many times. Uh, I was in a certain place in the world and a man wanted to see me, very lovely man. Wanted, he came to class, he wanted to see me. He says, I said, yes, no problem. So he came to the hotel room and he said, I have a question to ask you. Yeah. He said, many, many years ago, about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I, I uh, uh, attended some classes by a monk, Burmese monk, 
And I said, how do I meditate? Uh, insight, I want insight. And the Burmese monk said, uh, it's very simple, you watch the tip of your nose. Which is correct, it's in the text, it says, Play, pay attention to the tip of your nose. So uh, I think it was 15 years. He paid attention, he watched his breath, uh, he watched, observed his breath, go in and out, uh, by feeling, but, but he's looking too. Uh, for 15 years, bless his heart, I go in and out of his body. And so he asked me a question, is there something else I should be doing? Yeah, I said probably in the first week. Yeah. And this is what happens when people don't have a teacher. So uh, these are actually, it may be written down, but these are the uh, profundity, profundity. These are all uh, guided step by step by step by step by step by science. So depending on the resolution, the ability to resolve. So if you go to Southeast Asia, you go to a retreat center, an inside retreat center, most of what the teacher wants to know is how good your resolution is day by day. If you, when you have an interview every couple days or every day, they're actually looking for your resolution. How, how well you can actually clearly see the separation of these factors. Uh, then they give you an Anupasana theme. And that theme uh, usually lasts anywhere from a month uh, to uh, three months, could be six months. This, this could easily be two or three years, one year, two years. Uh, just, just enough. This is, this is uh, deep enough to go all the way. So um, it's the guidance of the teacher. For instance, the teacher tells you that there's moments to find, you'll find, my, you'll find moments. If the teacher says to be present, you'll be present. Um, it, it depends on your relationship with the teacher. So how can you evaluate the teachers? Pardon? How can you evaluate if the teacher is able to take you to the end? You better get a good feeling in there. This is a difficult uh, time right now uh, by people spending most of their time with this uh, a particular device where they're relating to uh, an instrument uh, more than they're actually getting to know the body language and feelings and smell and all the other qualities of another human being and being able to see. People tell me, how do I know who my teacher is? Feel it. I can't feel it. Uh, how do I know what that person's doing? Just feel it. We're supposed to be able to read body language. We're supposed to actually be able to uh, genuinely uh, um, uh, be able to feel whether a person is genuine or they actually the quality. What we now, a lot of people do is they want to see if the person, uh, as my teacher, uh, one of my teachers said, uh, has short hair and is wearing a robe or something like this. They want the appearance. But uh, not all teachers have the appearance. You have to have this, which is, uh, can you suss out what is genuine? And that means that you as an individual, or me as an individual, but you have an individual, you have to get to the point where this, and this is very clean to be able to go, this is a good being, this is a being with experience. And as the Dalai Lama said, the wonderful thing he said is, you know, you evaluate your teachers. You get to know them. You go to classes. You go to India. You go to Canada. You go to Brazil. Wherever they are, and you spend time. And then maybe after time, you know, I, I, I have a teacher, and we sat together once after a couple of years. We've known each other for six or seven years. We sat together on the floor. He said to me, "I studied you." I said, "I've been studying you too." Good? I said, good. <laughs> that was it. 
Even though we knew on the first meeting that we have a very deep connection, it's a question of how deep are you going to work with somebody? Are you going to make a commitment? Or is it going to be a class or this or that? So the commitment of working with a meditation master or a teacher uh, is like studying in the old way, uh, a ma- building, uh, being a mason, building a building. You don't want it to kill people. Do you know architects and engineers? They go to school for a reason. Uh, so they, don't, um, they actually have an orderly progression of study so they can actually build a building that stands. There have been buildings and bridges and things that have fallen. But most of these buildings, the reason we're here right now uh, is because uh, whoever designed this building and the, arch- the engineer that approved it actually knows what they're doing. That's a lot of training to have a building like this stand. So what are we doing? Right now we're trusting an architect and an engineer from a long time ago, right? We're just trusting that they actually know what we're doing. This, this building just doesn't suddenly collapse. Well, it happens. Did you know that in the world? Buildings just suddenly collapse because the architectural work or the building wasn't built right. Right now we have a tremendous trust. I have a lot of trust actually in Austrian uh, architecture and engineering. Bloody solid. It's really solid. There's a place in the world I go where I actually don't have that much because I see how they build and design. Training. 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 This is training. Uh, what I'm saying to you, I don't think is so popular today because a lot of people today are, are asking me, can you uh, deliver the goods in a weekend? Can you just tell me how to do it? And we'll do it. I just told you how to do it. But there's, there's a commitment to unfolding this to the point where you fall in love with this. I know when a student makes it, they fall in love. They just fall in love. It's like, oh man, this is awesome. Not because it's cool, but because they go, this is extraordinary. It's actually true. It's true. This is, this is called faith. So when we talk about faith in uh, Dharma, we mean faith in that the Buddha was actually correct. Where does that come from? In Western culture, there are people that have this. We saw this today, yes? People. Just absolutely confident. But a lot of Westerners don't have that. They must come to it through their genuine experience. A lot of Westerners today... Uh, are very mistrustful of mentors, teachers, and authority figures. Very mistrustful. Just built-in, built-in mistrust. And then, uh, then of course, there's, there's the Sangha, uh, people that have experienced the transcendental and can teach. So uh, today uh, is a little bit um, um, difficult, I think, for people. Really difficult. You know, some people ask me, where should I go to find a teacher? It's so funny. <laughs> oh, goodness. Or things like this. Oh, could you recommend a Vipassana teacher? You know the one where you, you kind of sit and walk and you sit and walk and you sit and walk. A Vipassana teacher isn't a technique. A Vipassana teacher is a being that actually sees Vipassana. Sees Vipassana. Sees inside. Not technique. There's many techniques. What's, what's appropriate to you? So the relationship with the teacher, which the Buddha says the entire path, by the way. The Buddha says the entire path. 
Make no mistake about it. That's clear in the text. That, that, that working with a mentor is the entire path. You don't stop. The Dalai Lama, why, you know the Dalai Lama is great enlightened being. He's a fantastically enlightened being. He goes for all kinds of teachings. He meets all kinds of teachers, receives teachings all the time. He studies, he reads, he meditates. The Buddha meditated until the rest of his life. Anapanasati. He's an enlightened being. This is deep. This is really deep. So I look around the world for people that go, ah, this is a very a deep, um, uh, worthwhile uh, path. So I think that's fine uh, for uh, t- uh, tonight. And then tomorrow morning, um, the, um, this thing about not arising or ceasing, not defiled or pure, not increasing or decreasing. Are there any dharmas? Take a look. Are there any dharmas that are impure? So if you want to write this down, here's a question for you for tonight. Tonight's homework. I've given you about five now. I want you to look, you know this, this uh, little river? Uh, is it the Dan, not the Dan, the Donner? The Donner Canal. The Donner Canal. I want you to look and go, is it pure or impure water? What would you say, it's pure or impure? Can any water be pure or impure? Just, just, yeah. So if you divide by drinking water, non-drinking water, say drinking water is pure, then you have the definition. To who? To who? This is the teaching of compassion. This is the teaching of Mahayana. To who? That water in that stream could be the filthiest water in the world and be the absolute happiest place for cholera. They would be so happy cholera. 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 You know cholera? Cholera. You know cholera? Yeah. Yeah. Guardian? Happy. Happy, happy creatures <laughs> swimming away, and the birds are happy, and different things are happy, and they're so happy. But you see how we do it? Pure from our point of view. So, is there any water on the planet that's ultimately really pure or impure? Is there anybody on the planet who is pure, any human that's pure or impure? Is any state pure, a pure state or an impure state? Is any sensation pure or impure? Do you ever have a mental state that's a pure mental state or a non-pure mental state? Ever? That's a tough one for people. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> and that concept of pure and impure, it could be confusing with wholesome and unwholesome. Even there's no such thing as wholesome and wholesome. We have to practice wholesome and wholesome, or we don't awaken. But we also eventually have to see that there's, this is for Sariputra, remember. This is, this is for Sariputra. Sariputra, there is not even left any wholesome or unwholesome. This is a confusion. We train that way, but we actually must drop, eventually, that there's wholesome and unwholesome. There's no good or bad. But if we don't train this way, Guru Rinpoche said something in a text, I cannot tell you what text it is. I like doing this, but I can't tell you. It's a very secret text. Guru Rinpoche said, 
Krupashri said in the text, um, unless, unless you can know that which is to be rejected and that which is to be accepted, it is not possible to make advancement in Dharma. So he's very clear on this point. Unless you can know, uh, yeah, he said no, unless you can know that which is to be accepted and that which is to be rejected, how can you make any progress? That's the exact quote. Therefore, the entire training to a certain point is great resolution. Wholesome, unwholesome. Karma, body, speech, mind, all this. And then uh, eventually uh, we need to see that all these have no uh, real intrinsic nature. So this is a teaching for Sariputra. He's already done that training. But uh, for hearing the view, you are now hearing the great view, which is the heart sutra. And that's important to understand where the whole thing's headed. The mistake has been, this is actually a very good question, the mistake has been by many is now I don't have to practice wholesome animals. Now I don't actually have to watch what my body does. Now I don't have to watch what I say to people. Now I can do anything because it doesn't matter. It's all empty. This is not true. This has been a big mistake among uh, Zogchen and Mahamudra practitioners, people that, that have, have, have gotten their hands on these texts without a teacher or a strong teacher, and they now go, I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, I, I can do anything. It doesn't matter what I do because actually there's no pure in pure life. But actually there's not. There, there's not. As the Buddha said, uh, at some point you have to drop the good and you have to drop the bad. Otherwise you're still clinging. So for instance, in tantric practice, the Vajrayana, we actually practice, it's called the left-hand path, which in India is the bad hand. It's the dirty hand we practice called the left-hand practice. So that, that is why, for instance, in Vajrayana practice, we actually uh, hold the rosary in our left hand, not our right hand. Because in India, that's your duty hand. That in India, to hold a rosary in your left hand is like, um, is like shaking someone's hand with your left hand, or just simply, that's disgusting. That's the hand that you wipe yourself with. So the rosary is held in the left hand because it's a sign that you're actually cutting through that which is uh, bad and that which is good. That which is socially acceptable enough. But you certainly don't do that until you're ready. Otherwise it causes massive confusion and a misunderstanding of karma. I think that's fine for tonight. Eh? Isn't that lots? This is like a mini, mini years course in, in uh, uh, four easy lessons. It says in the text a little later, there is no ignorance and there's no confusion. No. The, you know, this takes time, by the way. People think it's a snap. It takes time. Uh, I received this teaching probably starting in my teens. Really, that's uh, for over 40 years ago. I've uh, heard this many times. I've taught it many times. I studied in university. I did a paper. I actually wrote a paper at university um, on exactly this and the five skandhas. Studied it. 
practiced it, studied it, practiced insight. Uh, I've done whole retreats on this uh, one topic myself, retreats and taught retreats. This is so deep. And uh, today, people want like this. So if you're confused, you're not really confused. But uh, if you're a little bit going, wow, this is a lot, that's because I'm condensing a very uh, big teaching in a very short time um, because I'm trying to give this transmission. Hmm? So then after this, if you want, you can study, you have permission to study, you can you receive the transmission uh, from 2,000 years ago, same, unbroken, and uh, you carry on and you get an appreciation of how deep this is, how profound this is. So confusion, I don't have a problem with that. As long as you just don't go, oh, I'm confused. Actually, not, you're not very confused. That's, not, okay. That's just a few little things to tidy up over time. Right? But you know where it comes is the resolution. When you practice, that's why I teach most retreats. I don't give that many public talks now, really. I mostly teach retreats. Because that is where the resolution happens. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, people get used to it. And when they have the resolution, they say, good, now another three weeks. Why? Because I got it. No, you don't have it yet. I want to see three more weeks of it or one more month of it until it's like this. It's like piano playing. You know, does anybody play the piano or a musical instrument? No? <laughs> well, imagine. I want you to imagine cello. Cello or violin. And you're practicing a, a Mozart... Um, concerto, and you've been working at it for a couple weeks, and you get it. It just happens. And you go to your teacher and say, I got it. What, you, what is the teacher going to say to you? Show me. Let's see. Show me. And they might say to you, if you're, if you're actually going to be uh, very good quality, then they say, do it uh, perfectly, uh, 10 or 20 times in a row, especially if you're ever going to perform. Isn't that correct? So we often say, I got it. God, it means you've now entered the realm of it opening. Now we've got to keep the door open by practice. This, this is how real good work uh, happens. As my beloved uh, uh, teacher used to say, Namjur Rinpoche, if you had a really good experience in meditation, to me sometimes, what are you going to do with it now? And are you going to manifest it? So manifestation is different than it just being in here. Can you physically manifest it? This is, this is the key. So I like, I'm using this from the Vajrayana tradition. We don't meditate to become meditators. We don't become meditate to become master meditators. We meditate to wear dharma, to wear the dharma. Do you know what I mean by wear the dharma? Wear the dharma. Actually wear it. Manifest it. Display it. Make it clear. That's, that's the reason. We don't, uh, med- we don't meditate to become... I'm a meditator. It's not about claiming. I'm a meditator. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Vajrayanist. I'm a Tantricist. I'm a this, I'm a that. More claiming. You know what? what do we want to do? We want to actually wear the Dharma in the essence. The, the actual. <coughs> that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the actual. Okay. I think that's plenty for tonight. Let's share the merit. Let's share the, the, power, the, uh, the strength of this. By this powerful activity, and this is called punyakama, a powerful activity of the teaching of dharma and the listening of dharma, may uh, this powerful activity lead to the cessation of the floods 
the asawas of all uh, sentient beings. Dante punikamang asawaki wahangho tu. Dante punikamang asawaki wahangho tu. Dante punikamang asawaki wahangho tu. May all beings be well and happy, and may all beings be established uh, in total realization the nature of prajna paramita. Many blessings, many blessings, many blessings. Tashi shog, tashi shog, tashi shog. Good.